The reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 to 14. And it's on the order of service. And if you happen to have a Bible, prefer to follow along in the Bible, it's uh, at page 1510. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, cho- sorry, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tim, and them. Um morning everyone. You'll find an outline for the talk in your service sheets so you can see where we're going. We're um, journeying through the Sermon on the Mount this term in the lead up to Easter and in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is painting a picture of the good life. What life should be like. It's it's what he calls life in the kingdom of God and it really is a beautiful life, a, a community, a, a family enjoying relationship with God as their heavenly father, assured of his loving care and provision. It's a family characterized by humility and purity, peace and trust, honesty, integrity, mercy, generosity. It really is a picture of the beautiful life. And Jesus gives a summary of his teaching in our passage this morning, verse 12, what's become known as the golden rule. So in everything, Jesus says, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now other religions had and have a negative version of this command. So they'll say something like, don't do anything to anyone that you wouldn't want done to you. So if you don't like being robbed, don't rob others. If you don't like being slapped in the face, don't slap others. If you don't like being lied to, Don't lie to other people. But Jesus teaches the positive form and it's far more demanding, isn't it? If you enjoy being loved, love others. If you like being treated with honor and respect, treat others in that way. And so I can't just withdraw from other people and feel good about myself because I'm not harming or offending anyone. I'm called to move towards other people in positive love and blessing. Imagine a community in which this one verse was being lived out fully in all the relationships. 
It's a beautiful and challenging ideal. And now at the end of Jesus' sermon, he delivers an extended appeal from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. It's decision time. And Jesus calls on the crowds who are listening to choose life, to enter into this kingdom life that he's been describing, this, this community, this beautiful family. For the person who's not yet a Christian, life in God's kingdom, life following Jesus, it's just a prayer away. It's just a prayer away, a prayer you can pray today. And for those who are Christian, there is the call here to keep following Jesus. And there's an invitation here and a promise for our experience of life in the kingdom to be refreshed, for our joy to be restored, for the beauty of our relationship with God, our Father, to be renewed, and for our life together, our community, to bring light to a dark world. This year, as we've heard from some, we have a focus on mission. We want every member of the church to be confident and equipped to live as everyday missionaries, everyday witnesses to Jesus. Do you know what? If we collectively lived out Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, what a witness we would be. What a bright light we would be in this world. Alistair Begg has written a book recently about the Sermon on the Plain, similar teaching of Jesus but in Luke's Gospel. He writes this, The biggest reason for the ineffectiveness of contemporary Christianity is a failure to take seriously the radical difference that Jesus calls for as we follow him as king. Jesus' teaching is so countercultural, it's so distinct and challenging, but it's so attractive. So attractive. So as usual, we've got three points to, um, to guide us through. Firstly, from verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Jesus invites anyone and everyone to enter, to enter into his kingdom. So look again at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The picture here is pretty simple, isn't it? There are two ways, two roads. The first is broad and the gate is wide. There are many people traveling on it, enjoying its spaciousness and freedom. But Jesus says this road leads to destruction. The second way is narrow and the way onto it is small. This way is difficult, it's confined. There's only a few travelers on this path, but Jesus says this way leads to life. We live in a culture, don't we, that's embraced religious pluralism. The popular view is that all the religions of the world are onto something. They have some handle on the truth. Like a mountain with different paths, all... um, journeying up to the top. So there are many spiritual paths out there and they all lead to God in their own way. What Jesus says here is starkly different, isn't it? He says all religions, all spiritual approaches can really be divided into two categories. Jesus says there are not many different paths all leading to God. There are two paths 
And one leads to destruction. Only one leads to God, to life. Jesus is making here an exclusive claim. It echoes what he says famously in John's gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says there aren't many ways to God, there is one way. I am the way, the only way. And no one can come to the Father except through me. It sounds arrogance to our ears, doesn't it? It sounds intolerance. But this is the question we need to ask. Is it true? Now, I've got an illustration here, which I heard from a church minister in London who uh, was in the Navy, and the illustration's about a submarine. But I tried to look up whether this is actually true, and I couldn't find any evidence of it. So, if you decide to Google this, you may not find that it's actually based on accurate information about the design of naval submarines, but go with it, okay? I am told, I have been told, within a nuclear submarine, there is a room called the Citadel. And there's only one way into the citadel, through what is called the cleansing station. Now, James is like, nah, not at all. (laughs) Now, is that arrogant to say there's only one? If you want to get into the citadel, there's only one way. You've got to go through this, the cleansing station. It's not arrogant, is it? It's just the truth. That's the way the submarines Designed. You, you could try going through other doors and down other passageways, but they're not going to take you where you want to go. There's only one way in. In the same way, if, if Jesus is speaking the truth, if he is the only way, he's not being arrogant. He's just telling the truth. That there is a narrowness to Christianity. There is an exclusiveness. You have to enter through the narrow gates. You have to come to Jesus. But notice where that gate is. The gate is not at the end of the road. It's at the start. In other words, entry to the kingdom, it's not the reward after a life of good works. No, you you enter the kingdom and then live a life of good works. You see, again, the other religions of the world say, follow the way and then you'll be saved. So try hard, keep the rules, be good, and then if you've been good enough, you'll be saved in the end. Muhammad Ali, world champion boxer, great man, but on his gravestone it says, service to others is the rent we pay for our place in heaven. And Jesus would say, no, no, that's all wrong. You enter... Now, at the start, you're saved first, and then you live a life of service to others. It's not the rent you pay, it's the response to the fact it's already been paid. So what does it look like to enter through the narrow gate? It looks like coming to Jesus in repentance and faith. Do you remember at the very start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty. Who acknowledge that 
in themselves, they've got nothing to commend them to God. They've got nothing to deserve God's acceptance. They mourn their sin. They hunger for righteousness because they know they don't have it themselves. And throughout the sermon, Jesus has been teaching the values of the kingdom. He's been teaching about what true righteousness looks like, what the good life looks like. It's, it's no hatred in our hearts and no lust in our looks, no lying on our lips, no resting on our rights, no limit to our love. He's been teaching what it looks like to genuinely live as children of our Father in heaven. And it is a beautiful life, but it's a life we all fall short of. One writer has said, you cannot meditate long on Matthew 5 to 7 and remain unashamed. The Sermon on the Mount delivers a crushing blow to our self-righteousness, and it's what Jesus intended to do, so that we come to him poor in spirits, saying, as we're going to sing later, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Not trusting in my good works, but trusting in what Jesus has done for me through his perfect life lived on my behalf and his death died in my place for my sins and his resurrection blazing a trail to glory. Entering through the narrow gate means that we come to Jesus and we ask and we seek and we knock And Jesus assures us to those who ask, it will be given. Those who seek will find. To those who knock on the door, it will be opened to them. You see, I don't think Jesus is saying here in verse 7 and 8, you ask for anything and it will be given to you. Knock on any door and it will be opened. No, in the context, I think he's saying, ask for the life of the kingdom. Seek for heavenly kingdom treasure. Knock on the door of the kingdom and it will be opened and you'll be welcomed in. After the sermon, we're going to sing how deep the Father's love. In the last verse, it says this. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Jesus doesn't spell it out in the Sermon on the Mount, but as you read on in Matthew's Gospel, it becomes very clear that the whole reason Jesus has come is to give his life as a ransom. In other words, Jesus gives his life to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay for our entry into his kingdom. On the cross, Jesus endured the death and destruction and exclusion that you and I deserve so that we might enjoy the life and the blessing and the welcome that he deserves. And so entry into the kingdom is a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's something that's given to us freely. It's given to all who ask, who seek, who knock. Jesus has paid the price for our entry, and so all can come in. So it's exclusive in the sense that there's one way, but it's incredibly inclusive. 
because all are invited to come. And all you need to do is ask. So enter through the narrow gate. Secondly, keep following the narrow road. The gate comes first and then the road, but there is a road to follow. Entry to the kingdom is not the reward for a life of obedience, but there is a life of obedience to be lived. The Christian life, the way of following Jesus is narrow. It's restrictive. It's hard. Prayer is hard work. Forgiveness of others is spiritually demanding. Loving your enemies is incredibly challenging. Following Jesus will mean traveling against the tide. It will mean standing out, being distinct and countercultural. You will feel the pressure to go along with the crowd on the broad road where anything goes. Following Jesus requires discipline and repentance and effort and some spiritual fights. Following Jesus is a beautiful life, but it's incredibly challenging. It requires perseverance, specifically perseverance in prayer. The commands here, ask, seek, knock, they're actually present continuous, so they could be translated, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Let me read a few lines from Don Carson's book on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, persistence is required. But persistence in what? The answer is persistence in prayer. Not prayer envisaged as an occasional pious request for some isolated blessing. But in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, prayer that is a burning pursuit of God. The kingdom of heaven requires poverty of spirit, purity of heart, truth, compassion, a non-retaliatory spirit, a life of integrity, and we lack all of these things. Then let us ask for them. The Western world is not characterized by prayer. By and large, to our unspeakable shame, even genuine Christians are not characterized by prayer. Our low spiritual ebb is directly traceable to the flickering feebleness of our prayers. So we need to pray, pursue God, ask and keep asking. And so in response to the Sermon on the Mount, in response to the Beatitudes, pray, Lord, make me poor in spirit. Show me my sin so I mourn it rightly. Humble me, make me meek. Give me a a hunger and a thirst for your righteousness. Jesus defines true righteousness, so we need to pray, don't we? Lord, root out all hatred and lust from my heart. Make me a person of purity and integrity. Keep me from resting on my rights or drawing any limits to my love. Help me to know that God is my loving Heavenly Father. Make me a person of prayerful dependence and joyful trust. Keep, me, keep my heart from earthly treasures. Guard me from worldly worry. Help me to seek your kingdom as my first priority, my greatest passion, and my deepest joy. You, you get the idea. So keep following the narrow way. Don't be tempted to join the broad road. It may be the way of the majority, but the majority can be wrong. Jesus is clear. The broad way, though popular and easy, leads to destruction. Only the narrow road leads to life.
And that's the final point. Be assured that this way leads to life. We have Jesus' word on the matter. If we come to Jesus, we can enter his kingdom today. His kingdom of blessing and life and love. We can enter into relationship with the God of the universe. We can know him as our father. We can have the assurance of his love and care and provision. There are tremendous blessings in following Jesus in the present. But the fullness of the blessings of the kingdom will only be realized in the world to come when King Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom fully. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Similarly, in Romans 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, following Jesus is challenging now, there's a cost. But any cost now isn't even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Life in God's kingdom is wonderful now and in the world to come, it will be beyond our wildest dreams. Now you might think, that sounds too good to be true. But don't you believe it. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, We've seeing this acted out. We've already seen in the passage we looked at last week something of Jesus' humor in the little story he tells of the person trying to get a speck out of someone's eye while they've got a great big plank sticking out of their own. These verses, I think it's a darker humor, isn't it? You know, it's, it's kind of crazy to think of a parent being so cruel to their child. I mean, imagine it. A, a parent's... Uh, Mum is making up the lunch, the packed lunch for Susie, and instead of putting in a bread roll, she dumps in a stone. Or um, Dad is uh, responding to Tommy's request for a goldfish for his birthday, and he goes down to the fish shop and gets the the, the bowl, and then uh, goes to Pet Barn and and buys a venomous snake and sticks it in the fish bowl and hands that over. Happy birthday, son. It's not going to happen. And Jesus' point is, flawed and sinful human parents know how to care for their kids. And so how much more does our good and perfect Father in heaven know how to care for his children? How much more assurance can we have that he will give good gifts in response to our requests? Let me ask this of you as I ask myself. What does your prayer life Reveal about your view of God. Does your prayer life reflect the reality that you have a Father in heaven who delights to give good gifts in response to his children's requests? A couple of years ago, when we were preaching through the book of Numbers, that the thing that has stayed with me the most was the idea that God is determined to bless his people. 
His posture towards us is not one of reluctance. He's not grudging or stingy in what he gives us. You know, his posture is one of generosity and abundant blessing. He has so much more for for us, if only we would ask. Of course, God's determination to bless is seen most clearly in the cross, where Jesus bore the curse that we deserve so we could enjoy the blessings he deserves. And if we're going to persevere in following Jesus, walking this narrow road, it's essential that we know that we are children of a father who is determined to bless us. In Romans 8, verse 32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It reflects the promise that Jesus made in chapter 6, verse 33, 34, that as we seek God's kingdom, all these things will be given to us as well. All that we need to keep living the life of the kingdom all the way to glory. So as we finish, how will you respond to Jesus' appeal this morning? Will you come to him and humbly ask him for entry into his kingdom? Will you come to him and keep asking persistently for help to live the life of the kingdom? What might be holding you back from doing that? It could be fear. Fear of what others might think. And you may lose your popularity in following Jesus with integrity. But you gain the approval of God himself. It could be pride. And you will lose your self-righteousness if you follow Jesus. But you'll gain the perfect righteousness of Christ. It could be the cost. And yes, there is a cost to following Jesus. But the alternative, the other road, is an even greater cost. Or it could be that you simply doubt God's goodness to you. If that's the case, look again at the cross and doubt no more. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for the beautiful life of the kingdom that you've set before us. Thank you that you are clear 
in your teaching clear about the decision that we need to face, clear that the, the choices are not many but few, that there are two ways to live, that the way of following you is, is narrow, it's hard, it's challenging, but it's the way to life. It's a life full of blessing now amidst those challenges and it's a life that leads to even greater fullness and joy in the world to come. So help us, Lord Jesus, to hear your words this morning. Help us in our hearts to respond to you. Help each one of us, I pray, to come to you humbly, poor in spirit, asking for entry asking for grace and help and strength to keep going in the narrow road confident that our Father in heaven is so good and we can trust him to answer. We pray in your name. Amen.